Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In with your hosts, Megan Myers and Steffi Predmore. This week, Annalise Fairbanks joins us for a discussion on purity culture. A content warning for our listeners, we do discuss sexual assault. Stay tuned. Hi, Megan. Hey, Steffi. How are you? I am doing great. You helped in that regard. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We are going to talk a little bit later, but I am feeling, when we talk about joy, but I'm feeling much more organized in my life because of you. So, yay. So, you know, we'll see if it lasts longer than a week, but I'm hoping it does. So (laughs) that's, that's where, that's where I am at. And I saw my new therapist again today and she was great and it was a great session. And so I'm just, I'm feeling like, oh, okay. I'm like kind of in my zone right now. Yeah. How how are you? Uh, I would say I am not in my zone right now. Well, Um, (laughs) I'm on like the struggle bus this week. I feel like last week we were like both like killing it and getting so much done. And this week I'm just like, oh, yeah. I mean, also the weather is kind of shitty here, so I couldn't decide if it was going to sleet or snow or just be gray and gross all day today, so yeah, it doesn't really help the mood much. No, and my neck has been hurting probably because my dog sleeps on my face half the time, so... <laughs> She's like, I snuggle with you, mama. It's fine. She's just a 60-pound lap dog. You know. She sure thinks she's a lap dog. She, she just, really does. She's I said teeny tiny dog, mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I would probably sleep better if I kicked all the animals out of the bed, but... But they're so sad. They're so sad. I sometimes... So my cat, Cora is the most demanding of the animals that sleep with us and she like only wants to sleep on one very specific side of me and will like hit me in the head until I wake up and turn over and it's really annoying so sometimes when I really need a good night's sleep I lock her in the guest room by herself (laughs) like she has the whole bedroom she can burrow under the blankets do her thing no one needs to feel sorry for this cat but she always, the next morning, is like, hey, 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 lady, you locked me out. That was rude. <laughs> oh, man. So she's always Yeah, and we were trying to get the dog to sleep in the other bedroom because she has, she could have the whole bed that way. Yeah. But. She would rather be on top of you. Yes. She's very much like, you're my alpha. <laughs> I need to be snuggling with you. I feel safe with you. Bless which is. Very sweet, but also, like, it's really affecting, starting to affect my sleep really poorly now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if you could just, like, graduate to her sleeping at the foot of the bed. I mean, when we got her, she slept at the foot of the bed. So for, like, two or three weeks, she slept at the foot of the bed. And then she started, like, creeping her way up. And now she only sleeps at the top of the bed. I, you know, I think... Bob just needs to sleep in the other room. And then he, Mystery can he, have <laughs> his side of the pillows. I think that that's the perfect solution. He does sometimes. <laughs> he like comes she, to bed and, and is like, yeah. she was in my spot. She's on his pillow when he comes to bed half the time. So <laughs> sometimes he just feels like, okay, I'll just go to the other room. 
But I think sometimes I need to go in the other room because I would like to be able to sleep with like nothing. Starfish. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that the other day because I know you and I used to travel for work all the time and it has been over a year since I have been in a hotel. Mm-hmm. And that was like always my favorite thing about traveling was getting like a king size hotel bed and just like starfishing. I don't starfish. I go like diagonally though. I mean, it's kind of the same idea. Yeah. How much space can I take up in this giant bed? Right. By myself. And if I want to roll over, I can just roll and roll and roll. (laughs) I could like fall asleep with like my book or a, my laptop, or I could sleep, fall asleep with something next to me and, like, never run into it because there's so much space. It's so mm-hmm. luxurious. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, and I was like, I don't nest. I'm not one of those people that's like, I miss travel. I just miss having a hotel room to myself. At this point, though, I wonder if I would even be able to fall asleep in a hotel room bed by myself. I'd be like, where are the people? Right. No, it's wild. There's it's no wild other bodies. It's very strange. <laughs> there aren't people bothering me. It's, it's truly <laughs> wild to think about. <laughs> so in episode 18, we talked with our friend Caleb about what it was like to grow up queer in the church. This week, we are talking about the culture of the church again, but this time with regards to purity culture. As someone who grew up in the evangelical church, I'm all too familiar with purity culture and the harm it can have on young women. To help us unpack this topic, we invited my friend Annalise Fairbanks to join us. Annalise, welcome! Hello, friends! Hi, hi! Annalise, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so, I just finished up my bachelor's in psychology um, last year. I'm taking a gap year right now before I start um, my master's in social work program because I've been waiting for my smarty pants husband to finish up his degree so we can move down to san antonio for um his dental school so that's kind of where i'm at in my life right now um work-wise what i've been doing in the last couple years is i've been working um at a child advocacy center i worked at a research assistant in a multi-sensory cognition lab so doing all kinds of fun stuff there um Another, like, important thing about me is that I spend a lot of time writing and talking about adoption because I experienced a teen pregnancy as the daughter of a Mormon clergyman. So that was an experience, and that's why I'm here today. Yes, uh, we are going to talk, we're going to talk all about that, (laughs) Um, because I knew when Megan and I were brainstorming topics to cover... I said, I've really been wanting to cover purity culture, and I knew exactly who I wanted to have on. I was like, I've got to get Annalise on the podcast to talk about this, Um, because you talk a lot on your Instagram account um, about some of the effects of just religious shaming and things like that that you've experienced. So we're going to unpack all that in a minute. But in preparation for this episode, all three of us read Pure, Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Women and How I Broke Free by Linda K. Klein. And I kind of think of this book as part memoir, part expose, part ethnography. And it's an excellent book for anyone who has been personally affected by purity culture or who is interested in learning more about this topic. Um, so before we go much further, I think it would be really helpful to give our listeners some background by 
for each of us to share our experiences uh, with purity culture. So Annalise, do you want to start us off? Um, yeah. So what I'm going to do is kind of try and give you a series of snapshots that will kind of try and illustrate um, what purity culture has looked like um, throughout my life to this point. Um, so growing up, um, my dad um, was a bishop for a while, and he's you know always kind of been um, very active in our church as a leader. Um, and so that really kind of permeated our home. And, and that was a good thing in a lot of ways. You know, my family was very service-oriented and things like that, um, but it also came with, like, this huge influence of purity culture, especially because I was a girl. Um, so, for example, I have this really vivid memory of being, like, five or six years old, and I was wearing a bathing suit in the house, and I got in trouble for doing that because um, my brothers and my dad were there, and we didn't want them to be uncomfortable. Um, obviously, like, we went to church every week, lots of purity lessons there that were hard, Um for me and and so there was like that kind of thing and it was very like traditionally what you would expect when we talk about purity culture um and that was really hard for me um because around that age when I was kind of starting to realize like what sex was or maybe even before I really quite fully realized what sex was um I was experiencing like at the same time some sexual abuse by somebody that I really trusted and looked up to um, so that was really confusing for me um, because part of the, the purity culture is that you don't really talk about sex. And so you don't really talk about consent a lot either. Um, so it wasn't just my parents, you know, obviously it was, it was at church and at school that we just didn't talk about sex. Um, and so I didn't really put together that I was experiencing abuse until like probably 10 years later after after that had ended um and so when I realized this was what was happening I had a really hard time I was feeling really guilty I was feeling really angry um and still just kind of being surrounded by this culture of shame around sex so I didn't really know what to do with that um and so I ended up getting into a lot of like really crappy situations like you know relationship after relationship after relationship um just kind of trying to feel loved and accepted and all these things and so one thing led to another and eventually uh, when I was 17 I got into a relationship with a guy that was 24 um and I got pregnant and like as the daughter of a bishop like that's kind of a big deal it's like very I don't know stereotypical preacher's daughter gets knocked up type of thing and um, so that was really hard for me, not necessarily because my parents were angry at me, you know, that does happen for a lot of people. Um, and I'm really grateful that that wasn't the situation for me, but in general, um, in my church, single moms are not really accepted. That's something that you want to avoid at all costs. Um, and so I, had gone in to um, talk to the leader of my daughter's biological father's congregation. And um, he, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but essentially he was saying that we needed to get married. And I was like, 
Well, I'm 17, so I can't really do that. Um, and I just, I was feeling really, really pressured by this guy, by not necessarily my parents, but a lot of people around me. I felt like I was being pushed into marrying this guy. And he was getting a lot of praise by a lot of other people for wanting to be an involved dad and all of these things. And nobody was really pointing out the fact that this was not legal or okay. Um, and so that was obviously really overwhelming. And I definitely didn't get the support that I feel like I needed and deserved. Um, and so since I didn't want to get married and I couldn't be socially accepted as a single mom, um, what I ended up doing is placing that little girl for adoption. And um, that was really hard for me because it felt like at the time, and even it's something that I struggle with now, that because I had had sex outside of marriage, I was automatically not good enough to raise my own child. Um, and so that's something that I think purity culture if we're going to sum it all up is where that really hurt me the most is that it made me feel like I couldn't raise my own daughter. Um, and that adoption has ended up being a good situation um, in the long run for myself and, and my birth daughter, but it still was a really traumatic experience um, that I definitely still struggle with. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a long story, but um, to kind of wrap it up, that's, that's kind of, where we're at and what I'm dealing yeah. with right now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I, so, you know, you grew up in the LDS church. I did grow up in the evangelical church and, um, you know, especially once you hit that like junior high age is really when all of those purity messages start to really come in. And for me, one of the things that was probably the most difficult is the fact that we've we've talked about my big boobs on this podcast before, <laughs> um, but I had big boobs really young. Like I matured really young and I had multiple like female youth group leaders who would like reprimand me for basically the body that I had um and you know that I needed to be like careful because I didn't you know want to you know lead the lead the boys astray and things like that and it wasn't like I was dressing like super provocatively or anything like that um I was literally just dressing like a normal teenager um but I had big boobs, and so, like, I could have worn a burlap sack, and they still probably would have said the same thing to me. Um, just because when you have a full figure, like, you you can't, you can't hide that. Um, and so that was, like, a message that was just really, like, nailed in by not really not I am lucky in that it was not a message that came from any of like my family or anything like that but it definitely like hearing that from 
like female leaders that I respected was really hurtful um, and made me have a really difficult relationship with my body or contributed to a difficult relationship with my body um, over the years. Um, that It's taken me a long time to sort of unravel from that. Um, I also, um, something that the author of the book that we read talks about in her experiences was being diagnosed with Crohn's disease as a, when she was in college and I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is sort of Crohn's cousin, um, when I was also in college and something I never really connected until I read this book was how my relationship with my body and my diagnosis was connected to this culture of like women have to be smiley and we have to be cheery and we're not allowed to like be anything else and we can't really talk about our bodies and like all of these things um, that in a really, really intricate way were all connected to this diagnosis and how I was was or was not able to talk about my health and how I was or was not able to express like I don't feel good like I genuinely feel really shitty I'm really sick or not or having to put on a brave face and just like go to class and like all of these things um and so that's that's sort of a newer revelation for me after reading this book that I'm still kind of working through and like pondering over noodling over um but then you know I also I was one of I was one of those naughty girls that ended up having sex before marriage and um like there is still there's this you know you are not allowed to have sex until you are and then once you get married, you are supposed to be like the most sexual being in your marriage. And so that, but that's like, it's, it's not, there's not like this switch that can be flipped where you're like, okay, I did this really bad thing by having sex before marriage. Um, and then, but now that we're married, it's fine. Like that's, it, it doesn't work like that. And so there, it has definitely like affected how I am in my marriage sometimes, and like again, it's something that I'm still unpacking and figuring out. Um, but it is, it's just like all, it's just like a mind game that I, you live with and have to um, learn how to navigate. And so that's that's really sort of my my experience. Um, Megan, I know that you grew up in a, you know, pretty different, you have a pretty different like religious background um, from me. So I'm really curious to hear, um, you know, if, what your experience is in this area. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, actually, because I did not grow up in the church. And yet the whole idea of like a purity culture still like permeated in general society. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember in high school especially, I, like, I know, I so I was in high school in the 90s, and it was definitely the grunge time, mm-hmm. and everyone wore flannel and everything, but, like, I very purposefully wore extremely oversized t-shirts, always, like, baggy jeans. I did not want to wear anything that drew attention to myself, mm-hmm. because I did not want guys looking at me, because you're taught, like, 
you don't want that kind of attention. If you get that attention, you're a slut. You're a slut. Guys can have that kind of attention, but girls cannot have that kind of attention. Right. Um, and that lasted like through college, um, basically until, I mean, even after I had met my husband, I was still just like, "Mm, I can't like dress in a like super sexy way because that would be too much. Like I think on our first date, I wore jeans and like a Henley top, (laughs) which is not like a date outfit, basically. (laughs) It's like going to the bookstore outfit. (laughs) Um, which would be a great date, to be clear. I mean, it's probably a, that's what I wore because he picked me up from my job at the bookstore. <laughs> uh, but I just think it's interesting that, that that kind of culture, even if it's not part of your religion, it just is part of secular society in general, that women have this double standard foisted upon them from the time they are starting to hit puberty. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that I feel like Every single woman that I know has had to deal with on on some level. And especially reading this book, I was like, oh, my God, that's a lot of these like tiny little, I guess I would say like microaggressions. Yeah. Kind of happen to everybody that I know. Yeah, for sure. So one of the biggest issues that Klein discusses in her book is that women are made to bear the burden of responsibility for purity. Like we were just saying, men can have it, women there's lots um but for example being told not to dress too provocatively so you don't lead men astray from apparently the wonderful path that men are on (laughs) (laughs) Annalise can you share a bit about how you've seen this play out in your own experiences yes um so I'll tell you a story um as soon as I I read that this question was going to come up this like immediately popped into my mind um I was in high school and there was a guy his name was Brandon Brandon if you're out there screw you um, <laughs> I'm giving you the middle finger Brandon you can't see it but it's like, happening literally it sucks so much um so he I had a boyfriend and he'd been trying to get me to dump him for a while and it was you know this whole high school thing whatever um and but at one point, like the the hallway was empty, and he had he like pushed me up against this locker, and um, he was trying to get me to kiss him, and I didn't want to do it, and I was trying to push him off me, and it was like a really scary situation for me. Um, and there were some people that were there, but they were filming it. They weren't like they weren't doing anything about it until one of my best friends came around the corner and kind of rescued me from the situation. Um, but obviously that really shook me up and I went home and I was crying to my parents about it. Um, and I remember like distinctly the response that I got from my dad was that I needed to be careful because if I continued to dress like eye candy for the boys, then things like that would keep happening to me. Um, and I can tell you exactly what I was wearing that day. I was wearing a sweatshirt over a tank top and it was when like brightly colored skinny jeans were a thing Mm -hmm. um so like pretty standard like not breaking the dress code at all but that to him was dressing like eye candy and I don't remember feeling like any kind of empathy or any kind of like we need to do something about this guy it was you need to be doing these things differently because 
you're the one that's ultimately responsible for what happens to you. And to be clear, you could have been wearing a bikini. You could have been naked and it still would not have been okay for the guy to do that. Right, exactly. Um, And so, like, what this particular guy did, like, doesn't actually hold a candle to any of the abuse that I endured before and after um, this experience. But it sticks out so much to me because at that point, I just kind of stopped telling people what was happening. Um, when I was 17 and in that bad relationship with this grown man, I didn't tell anybody until I was pregnant. Um, and then even when I was 20, um, I was assaulted again and I didn't tell anybody for months. Um, because at that point, like, it was just really clear to me that like, nobody would believe me and it would always be about what I had done, what I was wearing, what I had kind of done to bring this on myself. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I just, I want, and I want to believe that we're coming around. Like, I want to believe that our culture is, in general, like, waking up to the fact that none of this is, like, none of this is okay, and it is never, like, it is not the woman's fault for, like, we should not bear the brunt of that, of, like, well, what were you wearing? And you need to be careful and all of these things. Um, and, you know, admittedly, I have sort of extricated myself from the church in a lot of ways. I don't, I don't attend church anymore, and so I don't really know what that culture is like currently, but... There are things that make me make me think like, okay, we are. I think our society in general is is starting to get it, but it's just bananas to me that you can look at your seventeen year old daughter and say like, well, you need to be not dressing like eye candy, so that they won't do that to you. Right. So yeah. And I was I was actually like fifteen, fourteen, or fifteen at that time. Even worse. Yeah. So um. The thing is, though, that it's kind of, it's not even just the way that other people are are acting towards women. At at least for me, it was something that was kind of ingrained into me as well. Like this guilt whenever something would happen to me, like what could I have done differently Um, and -hmm. things like that. And like, to be clear, it wasn't even necessarily just my parents. I I have a really hard time with a lot of things that they've done. Um, And it's something that I have to remind myself like over and over that it's not, it's that they were also raised in this culture by people who were raised in the culture by people who were raised. And it just kind of compounded on top of each other. And it just becomes like just this part of, of who we are as as Christians is like a general group. Um, Yeah, it's just something that's that's hard for people to break free from. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it yeah, it is because, you know, like you said Annalise, it's 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 not just the external messages, but they become internal messages. You internalize it to the point where everything is like, "Oh, well, I shouldn't have been wearing that or I did something wrong or you know, whatever it is. Um, I, you know, I think there, there are a lot of stories in this, in the book that we read that, that of women who have been through so many instances of different types of abuse and assault and 
and the and the and the messages that they've received their whole lives have led them to say like well it was probably my fault so um so while you were reading this book Annalise you texted me about two things the first um is the fact that using birth control while having sex means that you plan to have sex which is somehow worse in general um we cannot have sex but we really cannot have premeditated sex um and second the book made you realize the ways that your own therapist has been talking to you has been really shaming so um, I'd love to talk more about the language of shame and how it infiltrates purity culture in ways that sometimes we aren't even aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that um, former, now former therapist, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of talked to me about my past sex life as if it was the series of really horrible mistakes that I've made that I, you know, could have hope and come back from. But really what it was, was a very natural response to what I had been through. And it wasn't really about sex. It was about power. And one of the things that I really like in that book is that I don't remember the exact quote, um, but she talks about how we misconstrue, misconstrue sexual assault to be about sex rather than violence. Mm-hmm. Um and so for me, kind of talking about it as if that they were mistakes that I had made, that's not what was happening. It was the reaction to the violence that I had experienced. And it took me a really long time to kind of get to that point and not feel so guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even just like other people who like aren't even related anywhere near to any kind of church, um, well, kind of, you hear the, kind of the same thing. Like, for example, I had like a hairdresser at one point who was talking to me about how I just had such a sexual aura about me. <laughs> she said that to me. <laughs> Super weird. Sure. Uh, thank you. And how, um, you know, how she was sure that the guys just couldn't help themselves around me. And so kind of what that did, that messaging that you just get over and over and over again, was that I saw myself like I was sex and sex mm-hmm. was bad. Therefore, I was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because I'm sitting here thinking about the fact that, you know, we, we get these messages that sex is bad and it's such a sin and that, and, and there are all these sort of metaphors that you hear. I think especially as a girl um, growing up in the church is, you know, oh, you're like a used, if you have sex, then you're like a used Kleenex. No one wants a used Kleenex or <laughs> you know, whatever, like, I mean, like, legitimately, these are real metaphors that people hear. Um, and so if you are a, you know, totally normal teenager, totally normal college student, totally normal 20 something, and you, you know, even if you don't actually have sexual intercourse, but you just are, you know, it, having any sort of, you know, relationship or um fooling around or whatever with someone like I just makes me think about how I was it was like I was sure people could tell like 
mm, she they can tell that I was at a party last night and that I was fooling around with a guy or, you know, they could tell that my boyfriend, like my grandparents are going to be able to tell by looking at me that <laughs> I had sex and oh my God. And you like, were even. All this, like, it's just, they're just going to like be able to see it and they'll just know that it's just this like tattooed on my forehead and like, spoiler, that's not how it works, but this this idea that what you've done is so shameful and no one's gonna want you and it's gonna be like visible to everyone that now you are that used kleenex just like walking around in the world um it's it's so it again it's just it's such a mind game right it's almost like there's like a limited amount of sex that you can offer and it has to be to one person there's a limited amount of times that you can connect with somebody and it's it's like at least for me I was given this this message over and over that like if I had sex with somebody else then I would not be able to emotionally connect with my husband in the same way and when you're told that so many times over and over then it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy um and that's definitely something that I'm unpacking at this point is like because I've heard that it was going to be so difficult for me now it's become difficult right Mm -hmm. right one of the things that really struck me in the book actually was uh this section that she had talked with a person who had married her husband they basically got married really quickly because they wanted to have sex but then they realized they did not know anything about sex because of how they were raised Mm -hmm. and they basically had horrible horrible experiences with sex for about 15 years and I know people that I'm friends with have had that same experience where they waited until marriage but because of the way that the church talked about sex to them and the culture that they were raised in, they didn't they didn't know anything about it, what they mm-hmm. were actually supposed to expect. They were just they just knew that they were not supposed to do it until they were married. And then when you're married, you're just supposed to magically be able to do it. And it's gonna be beautiful and it's wonderful. It's gonna be beautiful <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone's first time is beautiful and amazing. <laughs> no. Even if you know what's going on. <laughs> That's not a thing, but yeah, I was, I, that section, well, that section for me, like my mom and I used to kind of joke about like when I started to get towards like end of high school and like into college and seeing people in our church that were close to my age getting engaged and my mom would be like, well, you know, they're just getting married because they want to bone each other <laughs> like hearing your mother say that is a really interesting experience I mean but I'm sure there's lots of people who that were that that's why they got married absolutely. at such a young age because they that's all they knew to do absolutely and and my and my mom would always be like wonder how long that marriage is gonna last <laughs> like and I mean spoiler like some of them have lasted but some of them did not right because yeah I, I, you know pro tip guys don't get married just to have sex <laughs> it's not really a great basis for like why you should get married 
it might work out for you, but it also might not. So, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe they have some other reasons. So, Annalise, can you share about how purity culture affected your dating life after giving birth to your daughter? Um, yeah. So, yikes there. <laughs> um, just in general. Um, so, as far as the reactions of the guys that I was dating, I live in Utah right now. So, everybody around me was pretty much either Mormon or, or still, it was just, it's just a really conservative, conservative area in general, regardless of religion. Um, and so that was really awkward because I would usually tell people on the first date because like, she's such a big part of my life. And because I'm so public about it, like I figured I may as well tell them before they went and stalked me on Instagram and found out awkward stuff about me. (laughs) Um, So I would tell them and, um, kind of one of two things would happen um the guy would get like super uncomfortable and kind of like duck out as soon as they could um and that really kind of bothers me because I feel like the reaction might have been different if it was just that I had had sex and I could go on like four hours about how it makes me mad that people think that because you happen to get pregnant like somehow you're more promiscuous than somebody who doesn't happen to get pregnant and birth Someone control fails. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I definitely had a hard time with that. But I mean, it was a good way to weed people out because if somebody was thinking that, I obviously didn't want to have anything to do with them. Um, but the second reaction that I would get um, from a lot of people would that was that again they would assume that I was just going to be easy, and so they would try and hook up with me. Um, and so that was just really frustrating and it really wasn't until I met my husband who had like an actual decent human being reaction to that that I realized that like people can be nice um but I feel like the bigger problem though wasn't necessarily the way that other people were treating me I think it was the way that I saw myself because of all these messages that I had ingrained in me it was kind of like well I mean, I've already had sex, and they tell you if you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. I already got pregnant. So what is there to lose now? (laughs) Um, And so I ended up, like, getting myself into a lot of really sticky situations and being with people that I now, like, seriously regret um, because that was, like, the source of power that I had was I could use sex to keep people interested I could use sex to feel good about myself because, like, fun fact, when you're postpartum, you don't feel good about yourself. Um, I was That's true. Yeah. Not in a great, great space there. Um, and so I needed that validation. And so I would end up being with people regardless of whether I actually wanted it or not. Um, and I kind of stopped listening to myself there and stopped respecting my own wants and boundaries and needs because I kind of felt like you know like what is there to lose I've already lost all of these horrible things that they said would happen to me if I had sex it already happened so you know it doesn't matter and I don't matter is how that felt as a as an aside uh you and 
John, your husband did, I think it was a, I think he did a YouTube video, uh, maybe talking about like how you guys, you know, met and your relationship and, you know, mm-hmm. dating and stuff like that. And I just remember like you talking about his reaction when you told him and like, I just, I kind of fell in love with him a little bit in that moment. Like, it was so sweet and wonderful. And I was like, oh, my God, we need more Johns in the world. So, so anyways. true. Yeah. He's a cutie. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a sweetie. So, um, so as I was prepping for this episode, I really started to think about how the places I find God the most are no longer within the walls of the church. As I said, I, I no longer attend to church. And that honestly, maybe that never really was where I found God the most. Like, I think for me, I find him most in the smaller moments of life, like in hugs from my daughter and in moments spent in deep conversation with my really good friends. Um, and so I would love to hear, you know, how... Has your faith changed as you have navigated and started to unpack this religious trauma and shaming that you experienced growing up? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in a place where I'm sitting in a room realizing that I'm surrounded by baggage and that at some point I'm going to have to deal with that. Yeah. Because um, it really has been pretty recently that I've realized like the impact that purity culture has had on my life. Um and so I'm, I'm not really sure where I'm going from here. Um, something that's been really helpful for me is that I've started to see my relationship with Christianity and with my church as a relationship instead of an identity. And for me, there's a really important line there because if I identify purely as a member of the LAF church or, or purely as a Christian, Um, and that is who I am, that means that I need to agree with and abide by um, all of those rules. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't work for me. I have, you know, really strong opinions about um, a number of things that I disagree with, um, with Christianity in general. I'm very, like, pro-LGBT rights. And things like that that are, are not, that don't really mesh well um, with conservative Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's kind of like my relationship with the person. I don't have to agree with that to have a relationship with this person. And I can draw boundaries and say, no, this is not okay. Um, and this is what I'm going to do. And if you don't like it, then that's your problem. Um, And so it's very much like that with my relationship with church right now is that I'm going to do what I feel like is is right for me because I feel like, you know, we're taught over and over that we're God's children. And I personally want my birth daughter to grow up and make her own choices and do what feels right to her rather than just blindly following what somebody else is, is telling her regardless of whether or not that feels good for her. So. I'm kind of in this place where where I think that that's what God would want for me as well. Um, and so I'm kind of just trying to figure out, like, what actually feels good and right to me and what am I doing because I've been told to. Yeah. I think that that's a, I think that that's a really good sort of 
piece of advice or starting point for so anyone who might be listening who is realizing what purity culture has done to them, what effect it has had on their life. Um, I, I really like that, that, you know, viewing, viewing it as a relationship instead of an identity. I think that that's, I think that that could stem out into a lot of areas of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like that a lot. And I think that that could be that kind of mindset shift, I think is, could be a really good starting point for a lot of people to kind of extricate, you know, what you truly believe from what you've been told to believe. Right. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know that that, I know that this was, there was a lot to unpack in this episode. I feel like we just sort of, it was sort of tip of the iceberg really. Um, but you know, I know we really appreciate you sharing your story with us, trusting our listeners with your story and, you know, sharing how you've been affected by purity culture in your life. So before we go, let's end on a little bit happier of a note. <laughs> what is bringing you joy this week, Annalise? Um, so like I said before, we're moving to San Antonio in a couple of months. And I'm really thrilled about that because the high in Logan, Utah today is 23 degrees and (laughs) the high there is 77. And so I've been like, whenever I get sad about how cold it is, I've just been thinking about that lately and having that warmth to look forward to and that bark joy in my soul. Your winters are going to be so much different, aren't they, Megan? I know, I just did the opposite, basically, and I really miss the warm weather. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to enjoy that nice warm weather next winter. You're going to be like, what is this? Yeah. You might not enjoy it in August, but... We'll deal with that when it comes. Right. <laughs> that is why, that's why God made air conditioning. It's fine. That's right. <laughs> Steffi, what is bringing you joy this week? Well, I alluded to it in our intro, but you helped me clean out and organize several spaces in my house last week. I took off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday last week, and you came over and we just like attacked multiple rooms in my house. We cleaned off my desk, which was a complete disaster zone beforehand. And now it is so clear and empty and wonderful. And we reorganized my pantry and my closet. We got rid of like two thirds of my closet. It was, we had your entire back of your uh, Subaru filled with donation stuff mm-hmm. and it is bringing me so much joy <laughs> and many bags of trash many we threw away a lot of stuff big bags of trash we threw away <laughs> so much stuff I was like where has this stuff even been and that was only like three and a half rooms in my house like three mostly like three and a half like spaces in my house there's still more that we could do and I'm like Oh my god, let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> it's addictive. Yeah, that's why I like I whenever I do it to my house, I'm like I'm going to just going to do it. Like I came home from doing it at your house on Friday and I was like, I'm going to go through my closet now. And get through <laughs> all this stuff and the next day I made my kids go through all their stuff yeah. and pick out all their old board games that they are too big for and yeah. But you sent like a whole back of the car, not as quite as much as you, but a bunch of stuff to Goodwill. 
And like I, if I had just been doing it by myself, first of all, Megan actually made me do the thing where you pull <laughs> everything out of the closet or like everything off the desk and like start from scratch, which I would absolutely would not have done on my own. And also, I, I off like I had several moments where my brain just completely broke. And I would just stare at her with this, like, blank, scared expression. She'd be like, okay, so the next thing we're going to do is this. <laughs> like, I literally would not have gotten anywhere without somebody there being like, okay, uh, okay, I think maybe we need to get an extra shelf for this closet. Let's go to Lowe's and find a shelf, Steffi. Here we go. <laughs> like I was like a toddler. So it was, it's fantastic. I, uh, I feel so much lighter. It's so apparent. It's so apparently my special skill is coaching people through organization. I, hey, you know what? People make a lot of money for that shit. So. That is true. But like, I've, I was really proud of you because like, I was really just there for moral support, I feel like. Like, you did most of the stuff. I did do a lot of it, but you definitely, you definitely did. Like, you you, you, you coached me. Coaching is a good, coaching is a good word to use. You're like, you can do it. <laughs> here's, here's, here's a hit for the next thing you need to do. It will be the okay. The word rhymes with, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Megan, what about you? Um, I was just going to tag on to that because that was pretty awesome. Um, one thing that has definitely been giving me joy, even though it was like, it was played out within like 36 hours, but it is still bringing me joy is, uh, Mittens Bernie. Oh my God. I love him so much. Still bringing me so much joy every time I see one. (laughs) I can't help it. I don't know what it is about it. I'm not even, like, a particular hardcore Bernie fan or anything. I just really love the internet sometimes. Sometimes the internet is terrible, and sometimes it is a true gift. I absolutely purchased the pattern to make the little crochet mittens Bernie for (laughs) our daughter's birth dad. Last year for Father's Day, I crocheted him a little baby Yoda, and so I'm going to make him... He like he actually was like he sent it to to Taylor and was like, show this to Steffi. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm buying that. I'm gonna make that for him. Like he's gonna have a whole little like crochet fan club on his desk with little baby Yoda and mittens Bernie. Like that's what we're gonna do. So it's <laughs> yeah the the content on the internet with mittens Bernie has been primo this week. It has been yeah, lots of joy. so next week we're gonna take you know a little bit of a pivot as we do and we're gonna talk about tattoos if you know me in real life or have ever seen photos of my arms you know i have a lot to say on this topic join us back here as we talk about why we love tattoos tips for getting your first and more until then be sure to leave us a review on apple podcasts and listen to us on your favorite platform you can also follow us on social media at IRSI Podcast or send us an email at I'd rather stay in podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Talk to you soon. <laughs>